Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of congenital hypothyroidism, also known as creatinism, found under the endocrine section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A six-week-old girl presents with lethargy, difficulty feeding, and hypotonia. Her parents report that she was healthy and did not have any apparent symptoms at birth. This is her first time seeing a doctor. On exam, she appears jaundiced, and has a large tongue that is protruding. Let's continue with an introduction to congenital hypothyroidism. Clinically, it is defined as thyroid hormone deficiency present at birth. Cretinism refers to the state of developmental delay secondary to untreated congenital hypothyroidism. And in terms of genetics, remember that there is a defect in T4 or T3 synthesis. With regards to epidemiology, remember that it is the most common neonatal endocrine disorder and there is a 2 to 1 female-to-male ratio. Risk factors include gestational age greater than 40 weeks. In terms of the pathogenesis, remember that thyroid hormone is critical for normal brain growth and myelination. During the first trimester, the fetus is dependent on maternal T4, with gradual fetal thyroid secretion after. Major etiologies of congenital hypothyroidism can include agenesis of the thyroid or inborn errors of metabolism, These are the most common causes in developed countries, or it may be due to iodine deficiency. This is the most common cause in underdeveloped countries. Also remember that maternal antithyroid antibodies that cross the placenta are a rare cause. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms may include a normal APGAR and asymptomatic patient at birth. However, most will present by 6 to 12 weeks with poor feeding, failure to thrive, lethargy, and constipation. On exam, one may note a low body temperature, a large anterior fontanelle, jaundice, coarse facies with macroglossia, an umbilical hernia, hypotonia, developmental delay, and mottled dry skin. In terms of diagnostic testing, the diagnostic approach involves screening at three days old or within seven days of birth. Remember that there may be false positives within the first 24 to 48 hours after birth or false negatives in critically ill neonates. In terms of the specific labs, one should check a TSH and T4, which is the best initial screening via heel prick. In terms of specific imaging, one can perform scintigraphy with technetium-99 or iodine-123. This is best for evaluating thyroid function. One can also obtain an ultrasound, which is the gold standard for measuring thyroid anatomy. However, it is not sensitive for detecting small ectopic glands, and treatment should not be delayed while awaiting imaging studies. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about neonatal hypothyroxinemia, with the distinguishing factor being that there will be a decrease in thyroid hormone, but TSH is not elevated. This occurs in premature or ill infants. Also think about pediatric hypopituitarism, with distinguishing factors being that there will be loss of other axes in addition to a decrease in T4. This may include a decrease in cortisol, decrease in sex steroids, decrease in growth hormone, and decrease in antidiuretic hormone. And in terms of the diagnostic criteria, remember that there should be an increase in TSH and decrease in T4, and imaging can help to differentiate the etiology. In terms of the treatment, the management approach involves early diagnosis via neonatal screening that allows for early intervention. There is routine clinical and laboratory monitoring, and there is formal developmental and psychoneurological evaluations. First-line treatment involves levothyroxine replacement. Complications related to congenital hypothyroidism include intellectual disability and growth failure. 
And in terms of prevention, remember that it is prevented by newborn screening, which is required by law, and the dietary iodine supplementation can prevent endemic creatinism, but is not indicated for sporadic congenital hypothyroidism. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that early diagnosis and treatment improves outcomes and patients can develop normally. Also remember that this is the most common preventable cause of intellectual disability. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to congenital hypothyroidism, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. An eight-week-old boy is brought to his pediatrician by his mother due to a two-week history of lethargy, poor feeding, and constipation. The mother received no prenatal care, and the infant was delivered at 37 weeks gestational age at home. He is at the 97th percentile for head circumference. 60th percentile for length, and 50th percentile for weight. Vital signs are within normal limits. On examination, the infant has scleral icterus, an enlarged tongue, and poor muscle tone in all extremities. Which of the following will most likely be seen on laboratory exam? And the answer choices are, choice one, accumulated sphingomyelin byproducts. Choice two, elevated alpha-galactosidase A. Choice three, elevated phenylalanine levels. Choice 4. Elevated serum TSH. Or choice 5. Elevated serum white blood cell count. The best answer to this question is choice 4. Elevated serum TSH. This patient's presentation of poor feeding, constipation, lethargy, prolonged newborn jaundice, hypotonia, and macroglossia is consistent with congenital hypothyroidism which would present with elevated serum TSH and decreased serum T4 levels on lab exam. Congenital hypothyroidism commonly presents with poor feeding, constipation, lethargy, hoarse cry, prolonged newborn jaundice, hypotonia, macroglossia, umbilical hernia, and increased head circumference. The most common cause of congenital hypothyroidism is thyroid dysgenesis. Most newborns do not display symptoms at the time of birth, so neonatal screening is mandated in all states for detection. Laboratory evaluation will show elevated TSH and decreased T4. Early initiation of thyroid supplementation with levothyroxine is crucial to prevent permanent neurodevelopmental damage. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Accumulated sphingomyelin byproducts are seen in Neiman-Pick disease, which presents with progressive neurodegeneration hepatosplenomegaly, and a cherry red spot on the macula. Neiman-Pick disease would not present with features of hypothyroidism, such as constipation, prolonged newborn jaundice, or macroglossia. Choice 2. Elevated alpha-galactosidase A levels are seen in patients with Fabry disease, which presents with peripheral neuropathy, angiokeratomas, and hypohydrosis early in the disease course, and renal failure and cardiovascular disease late in the disease course. This patient lacks these findings and presents with features more consistent with hypothyroidism, such as hoarse cry, prolonged newborn jaundice, and macroglossia. Choice 3. Elevated phenylalanine levels are seen in patients with phenylketonuria, or PKU. Patients with PKU present with intellectual disability, seizures, musty body odor, and hypopigmentation of the skin, hair, and eyes. Features of congenital hypothyroidism, such as poor feeding, constipation, lethargy, prolonged newborn jaundice, hypotonia, and macroglossia would not be seen. Choice 5. Elevated serum white blood cell count 
may be seen in infection. Infection in an infant may present with fever, poor feeding, seizures, and lethargy, but would not present with other symptoms of hypothyroidism, such as umbilical hernia, macroglossia, constipation, or horse cry. Finally, a bullet summary. Congenital hypothyroidism presents with an elevated serum TSH and decreased serum T4 on laboratory evaluation. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A seven-week-old infant girl is brought to the physician by her mother with a three-day history of lethargy, poor feeding, and infrequent bowel movements. Birth occurred vaginally without complications. APGAR scores were 9 and 10 at both 1 and 5 minutes, and the infant was not found to have any medical issues. Prior to three days ago, she had been feeding normally. Temperature is 96.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 35.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 78 over 44. Pulse is 110 beats per minute, and respirations are 40 breaths per minute. Exam shows a lethargic, jaundiced infant with dry mottled skin, a large anterior fontanelle, and a hoarse cry. Her face appears coarse, and there is macroglossia. Which of the following will most likely be seen on lab values? And the answer choices are, choice one, elevated liver enzymes. Choice two, elevated thyroid stimulating hormone. Choice three, leukocytosis. Choice four, microcytic anemia with target cells on peripheral blood smear. Or choice five, normocytic anemia with schistocytes on peripheral blood smear. The best answer to this question is choice two, elevated thyroid stimulating hormone. The seven week old infant girl with a three day history of lethargy, poor feeding, and constipation with jaundice, dry skin, a hoarse cry, a large anterior fontanelle, coarse facies, and macroglossia has a classic presentation of congenital hypothyroidism. Screening tests will show elevated TSH. Congenital hypothyroidism, also known as cretinism, occurs in developed countries due to thyroid agenesis, but is more often caused by maternal iodide deficiency during pregnancy in developing countries. Patients have an uncomplicated birth with normal APGAR scores and are often asymptomatic until 6 to 12 weeks of life when they present with poor feeding, constipation, lethargy, and failure to thrive. Exam will show dry, mottled skin, jaundice, a hoarse cry, a large anterior fontanelle, coarse facies, and macroglossia. Screening is performed by measuring a TSH level with follow-up T4 levels if TSH is elevated. Treatment is with thyroid hormone replacement. If left untreated, patients can develop severe intellectual disability and growth failure. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Elevated liver enzymes are seen in infants with hepatobiliary pathology, such as biliary atresia. They can also be seen in infants with viral hepatitis from maternal infant transmission. While both of these conditions would cause poor feeding, lethargy and jaundice, they do not explain the hoarse cry, large fontanelle, coarse facies, and macroglossia seen in this patient. Choice 3. Leukocytosis is seen in infection as well as in leukemias. This patient does not have signs of infection since they have normal vital signs, and a leukemia would not explain her physical exam findings of hoarse cry, large fontanelle, coarse facies, and macroglossia. Choice 4. Microcytic anemia with target cells on peripheral blood smear describes thalassemia. There are multiple types of thalassemia, and while some can present with poor feeding, lethargy, and jaundice, they would not explain this patient's exam findings of hoarse cry, large fontanelle, coarse facies, 
and macroglossia. Choice 5. Normocytic anemia with schistocytes on peripheral blood smear describes a hemolytic anemia. Hemolytic anemias can cause poor feeding, lethargy, and jaundice, but they would not explain this patient's exam findings of hoarse cry, large fontanelle, coarse facies, and macroglossia. Finally, a bullet summary. Congenital hypothyroidism, aka cretinism, presents between 6 to 12 weeks of life with poor feeding, lethargy, constipation, and failure to thrive, and is associated with classic physical exam findings of dry mottled skin, hoarse cry, large anterior fontanelle, coarse facies, and macroglossia. That's all for this review about congenital hypothyroidism. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session from MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. Thank <laughs> you.